Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I am so excited for you to meet my next guest. Her name is Julie DeAzevedo-Hanks, and she is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is a therapist with over 28 years of experience working with women's emotional health and relationships. And she's also an assistant professor of social work at Utah Valley University, and she is the founder of Wasatch Family Therapy. And she's also an author, and she wrote a couple of really great books that I recommend to my clients on a regular basis, uh, The Burnout Cure and The Assertiveness Guide for Women. She does a lot of work to support women in using their voices and helping them set boundaries and um, also deal with what she's labeled as aspirational shame for feeling like uh, there's something wrong with them for wanting to do too much. And we're going to talk about some of these things. And she also is an award-winning performing songwriter and uh, does a lot of private practice consulting and coaching. And she just does a lot of really great things and makes some fantastic contributions. And she currently lives in Sandy, Utah with her family there. And I'll uh, give you information on how to find her on social media and online. But I invited her on the podcast to talk specifically about assertiveness, especially for women that are dealing with betrayal. But honestly, the stuff we're going to talk about has wide application to all women and men who want to use their voices and be more assertive in their interactions with other people. And there's just a lot of misconceptions about assertiveness and a lot of fears around it, even for some people. And there's sometimes people feel like they're going to be too strong or they're not going to be taken seriously. And we address all of that. And I think you'll love listening to her. She's fantastic. And she's got a lot of really great stuff to share. So we're going to jump right into my interview on assertiveness with Dr. Julie Hanks. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, Julie. Thanks so much for making time to be with us today. Thank you, Jeff. So on this idea of assertiveness, this is not a word that a lot of us use. Most people would say boundaries or things like that, but boundaries can feel like a really scary word. But it's a word that a lot of women who have been betrayed or who are dealing with you know, major ruptures in their relationships, especially in you know, their marriages or romantic relationships, they recognize that boundaries have been crossed, that they need to probably do something to protect themselves. And so this concept of assertiveness, boundaries, and all that can be a, a brand new concept to a lot of them, even though maybe in their heads they're like, I need to do something, but they, maybe they don't really have a language for it. So I'd love to just begin this by maybe getting a working definition here of what you think assertiveness is or how you define it, Julie. Okay, great. Well, first I want to talk about what assertiveness isn't. It is not being aggressive. It is not being mean that assertiveness equals being mean or aggressive. What assertiveness is, is the ability to clearly communicate your feelings, thoughts, needs, and wants in a way that doesn't infringe on the rights of others. So I mean, it doesn't upset others. It doesn't mean, you know, other people are going to like what you assert, but it doesn't infringe on their rights as a human being. Does that Um, make sense? Yeah. Say more about the the rights part, because I'd like maybe some examples of what it would look like if you were infringing on someone's rights. So any kind of abuse. So name calling. So if someone can't feel 
like a valuable human being in your with what you're saying, then that's a problem. So if you're name calling, emotional abuse, you might be infringing on their personal space, their right to, you know, if you're touching them, or you're in their face, that's infringing kind of in their personal space. So those are some examples of what I mean. Yeah, that Does makes, that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And I, I actually see that a lot with a lot of the women I've worked with over the years who have let themselves get pushed around a lot or haven't used their voice. And they're now for the first time in their life going to set a boundary or be assertive. And they just push it all the way to 11, right? They just they mm-hmm. just do maybe the, the thing they've always fantasized about doing, getting in someone's face or raising their voice or breaking something. But you're saying that's not assertiveness. That can cross over into abusive and hurting someone else's rights. Right. That's aggression. Yeah. And so assertiveness is not aggression. And you're right. I've seen this in my practice as well, that you kind of go from being this a doormat to like, you know, stabbing someone with a sword, right? You go from (laughs) not having any boundaries to like fiercely wielding a sword and wanting to, you know, fight people and, and we kind of go to the extreme. And so assertiveness is in the middle of being walked on or being aggressive. It's its kind of somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. And in my experience, I, I don't know if this is what it's like for the women you've worked, but I, I've seen a lot of women f- almost feel like they have to push it really hard and get aggressive because maybe they don't believe it's going to work, or maybe they don't believe that the other Ooh. person will respect it, or maybe they're scared of even doing this. And so they just overreact to it. Like it's just, there's so much energy going into it because maybe they don't really have a full belief or understanding that this can even work if they're assertive. Right. I agree. And it's a scary thing to be assertive when you haven't been uh, in a relationship. And some women have reason to fear that assertiveness won't work because sometimes it won't. Yeah. (laughs) So not everyone is happy when a woman claims her voice. That can be really scary in relationships. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and even, you know, having, if I'm assertive or if I speak up and start to move this direction, it may involve having to make additional decisions that would have life-changing consequences. And, you know, don't make me have to do this, you know, like sometimes we say to our kids. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, especially after betrayal. There, that's right. There are lots of decisions that need to be made and lots of boundaries that need to be set. Yeah. And I think for a betrayed woman, I mean, the first priority, of course, is safety, especially when there's Mm -hmm. been abuse, addiction, betrayal, gaslighting, all the things that come with that. And assertiveness, I believe, is is like one of the number first things. I would say the number one thing that a betrayed woman has to learn how to do because nobody else can do it for her. She absolutely has to know where her limits are, where her safety is, and, Mm -hmm. and to be able to function you know, in this relationship and even with this person, if they have children together or however they navigate that, but without assertiveness, she'll never find safety, right? Correct. Yeah. And when I wrote this book on assertiveness, I realized that a lot of women want to be assertive, but first they need to be able to answer those questions. What do I think, feel, want, and need? Mm. So a lot of women need to take a step back from being assertive and answer those questions for herself before she can assert those things in the relationship. Okay. Can you say those one more time? Those were great. Yeah. What do I think? How do I feel? What do I want? What do I need? Okay. Yeah. And all of those are- in And those are, the, those are the things that determine kind of a strong sense of self, right? Yeah. If you're able to identify those, then you have this sense of strength and clarity about what you do need to assert. 
And without being clear on that, it's obviously you're saying it's hard to be assertive. And will somebody then border on be crossing over into aggression if they don't really have any clarity on that or saying nothing? Right. Or being reactive. So you're just being reactive to other people's behavior instead of coming from a proactive place of, look, this is where I am. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I need from you. This is what I want right now. And being clear on that, you'll just be reacting to what other people are saying or doing. I know in your book that you talk a lot about attachment and how our ability to answer those questions that you just outlined really get shaped in our early childhood development, early relationships, family of origin, even early mm-hmm. romantic relationships. Can you say more about that? Because those questions, they seem so simple on their face, but they're really loaded with so much history and so many filters, right? Right, right. So every family has rules about behavior, about feelings, about what's okay to express, about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man, what it means to be in a relationship, in a marriage. So our parent relationship is our main model for what a relationship is. And so we have all of these these rules and things that we absorb. And then we also develop what's called an attachment style that either leans toward an anxious attachment or an avoidant attachment, depending on those the safety in our early relationships. So there are lots of things that come into play when you're answering those questions. You know, what's okay to feel? You're going to run up across that. In my family of origin, it was not okay to express anger. That was considered not Christ-like. And so that was a family rule that I had to unlearn. So I can say, you know, I'm mad. Now I can say <laughs> when I'm mad. I give myself permission to do that. So we run up across our family patterns in answering these four questions. Yeah, like you feel like you're being disloyal to the family system or to yourself or to God. And there's just so many other voices that come into your head when you start to answer those questions. And so, yeah, so for a woman who's really sitting with these questions of what they think, what they feel, what they want and what they need, was there a fifth one? Did I miss one? No, you got them. There's four. Okay. Mm -hmm. So those questions, when a woman is sitting with those, and I'm guessing most people can't answer those like on the spot, right? They, it's probably more reflective exercise, right? Right. You can get quicker at, with practice, Yeah. but at first, at first it's like, Ooh, I don't, you know, (laughs) most people are like, I don't know what I feel. I don't know what I really think about this. I'm so used to thinking what other people think or feeling how other people feel. So yeah, it can be, it can take some some time, some, you know, journaling, some writing things down, some pondering to come up with those, those answers. And it can change every day too, you know, how you feel and what you think is going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And so for a woman sitting down and really reflecting on these, it sounds like she's going to have a lot of other competing voices in her head, including, you know, thinking about, you know, the greater good and how it impacts other people and Mm-hmm. organizing around other people's reactions or past reactions, and then again, models from childhood and other things like that. How mm-hmm. have you seen it helpful for, you know, for a woman to quiet that down and really get clear on what she wants? Well, I think that is kind of the core sense of self that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And being in touch with your, your sense of self and having that strength allows you to create intimacy in your other relationships. So we kind of think of you know being close with other people as like being similar to them. Actually, differentiation of self is really important to be like, this is me and I can relate with you and we're in this relationship, but I'm me and you're you. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're talking about developing this sense of self. And a lot of women 
have never asked themselves, what do I want? What do I want? They're used to knowing what their kids want or their spouse wants, but what do I want? And that's a really loaded question for a lot of women because they haven't given themselves permission to even want something else. Yeah, my wife and I were actually talking about this last night. She had read a post from Brene Brown about, oh, I don't remember the phrase that Brene's used. Sometimes she has some really cool phrases, but it was something to the effect of this lie, this myth that when I take care of myself or when I identify what I need, that it's only serving me. And then the truth is, is that mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, because if a woman's motivated by, like you're saying, caring about how it affects the group, you actually can accomplish that better by being clear on what you want and showing up as yourself. And that actually benefits the group better. And that's right. what Brene was trying to teach. And I, we had a great, great mm-hmm. discussion on that. And that's essentially what you're saying is that you being the same as everybody else doesn't do anybody else any favors because you know, you're missing essentially the, the essence of who you are and you just blend in and everybody loses. But when you show up right. as yourself and get clear on that, even though it might make other people have to adjust or be uncomfortable or kind of adapt to it, better things happen. Right. And intimacy can happen. Yeah. Right. If you care yourself, if you don't have a self to share, you know, so developing that and, and getting to know your feelings, thoughts, needs, and wants is part of developing the next level of intimacy or making difficult decisions in your relationship. Yeah. I love that. You know, I'm, I like the way you're framing this, Julie, like with the, you know, early romantic attachment, you know, dating and you know, sort of the starry-eyed infatuation phase is, like you said, it really is about sameness. We're so alike. I think just like mm-hmm. you, we love the same things. And there's obviously a place for looking for similarities, but I love what you're saying as far as, you know, real intimacy is having a, a self to share with somebody else. And that isn't only about your likes and dislikes. It's it's really just about showing up as yourself entirely and, and offering that to another person, which is really you know, the goal, right, of, of deep right, attachment. Right. <laughs> it's not just being somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So assertiveness in terms of for that to be possible in terms of setting boundaries, it really is about leading with that, those four questions and being clear on that and carrying that around with you. Would you say that there's probably specific moment to moment, you know, thoughts, needs or thoughts, wants, needs, feelings, but there's also probably like mm-hmm. a core, like a core sense of self that drives all of that? Yeah, definitely. And so there's that stable, there are things that I always want in my life. And those are my, you know, my values. What do I value? I value connection with my family. I value faith. I value, so those values aren't going to change, but your feelings, thoughts, needs, and wants, they're going to fluctuate a lot depending on the stage of life you're in, depending on the day. But there is this kind of core center that your values help you navigate and they indicate what those, what that self is. Yeah. So there's an ongoing exercise of updating that based on context. And like you said, you know, age, you know, stages of life, things like that. But it's also mm-hmm. important just on a regular basis to, to really stay in touch and maybe even sit down and, and spend some really good quality time in therapy or individually and really identifying, you know, the core answers to those questions mm-hmm. that guide everything else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So why do you think assertiveness is difficult? I mean, we're talking about women, but I know for myself, I've read your book and I benefited tremendously from it, you know, as, you. as a man, but I, and I ref- recommended it to tons of men. I said, Hey, you know, don't let the pink cover fool you. Like <laughs> this book, this book is fabulous for every human being. So I, I'm a big fan, but I, but we're talking Thank about you. women today. So, and I, I know there's some nuances and some, some differences in, in how women mm-hmm. 
think and feel about assertiveness. So can we just talk about it from that framework? Why is assertiveness difficult for women in, in particular? Yeah, women are socialized to feel responsible for the quality of their relationships. And so there's this underlying fear that if I'm assertive, I may damage or hurt or sever my important relationships. Yeah. So I want to pr- I want to preserve them. So I'm not going to say what I what needs to be said. Yeah. And so I think that is kind of the core difficulty for women is to recognize that that's actually not the case that assertiveness is the path to intimacy and that it may upset someone but it's not going to you know it's not going to sever the relationship if you're yourself in the relationship and if it does then that relationship is probably not worth preserving in the first place yeah so julie who put women in charge of monitoring the quality of these relationships <laughs> where did that come from oh gosh i don't <laughs> i don't know i i think probably biology first yeah. like the nurturing of little tiny you know, dependent human beings. But really, if you think about it, it's gestation and breastfeeding. And then after that, men are just as capable of nurturing relationships. So (laughs) I I don't know, I don't know how that's kind of extended throughout life. But right. But I, you know, it's just, at least in our current society, women are still socialized to feel that they're responsible. And I I think that's shifting a little bit. I think that men are starting to realize like, wow, I'm, I need to step up here. But yeah, I wish I could answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only answer it a little, it was a little tongue in cheek in the sense that I know that right. there's probably not one answer, but I think it's an important question, kind of like, you know, in the Garden of Eden, right? Who told thee, right? Like that question of like, where'd that come mm-hmm. from? Like, why are we following this? Why are you beating yourself up or feeling all this pressure and, and organizing and around this belief that you're the only relationship monitor and you are. responsible for the quality and outcome of this relationship when it is a partnership. And I think it's so important for women to be asking themselves that and challenging that and for men to also challenge it and obviously make sure that it's it's more equitable there. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. So so for women then, if they're you're saying if they're socialized to monitor the health of the relationship, then assertiveness really becomes almost a direct threat or, you know, to that success. They almost look at it as like, wow, if I do this, I'm going to basically fail in my job to keep this relationship healthy. Right. Because the society is going to hold me responsible for whether this works or not, or whether I can keep my family together or not, or whether my kids, quote, turn out. We hold women responsible for a lot of the quality of family life. And that's a lot of pressure. And I think that works against women being assertive. So getting over that fear and rec- you know, seeing that that's not necessarily your job to be in charge of all of the family relationships, it's pretty freeing to let that go. But that pressure even exists with strangers, right? And making other people comfortable. That's not even just only in family, right? Right. right. Being kind and nice. Right. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot of definitely. expectations of, hey. I don't want to make them. Yeah. Yeah. Make them uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, women get feedback all the time around, yeah, like you need to smile more or, you know, strangers will tell women that. And and it's just, there's just a lot of pressure that women are supposed to make other people feel comfortable. And so assertiveness is going to introduce an element of discomfort for both people. And the women who are able to succeed at this and and really do this well have to kind of push through some of that that reflexive or natural discomfort and recognize Mm -hmm. that there is something better on the other side of it. Yes, exactly. 
And I, I talk a lot with women about practicing tolerating other people's disappointment yeah. and disapproval. That part of being an adult is not agreeing with everyone and everyone's not going to agree with you. And that we can practice tolerating that and practice tolerating the discomfort. So, so you made someone uncomfortable. Okay. You know, <laughs> sit, sit with that. That's right. Sit with that and let it be what it is and don't take it on. And, so yeah. that's a skill you can practice. Yeah. And let them practice sitting with some discomfort. <laughs> Right. You don't have to make them feel better. Right. And maybe letting them ask for what they need. I mean, we can all do this together. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you talk about in your book, and this is this is one of the great takeaways of your book that I love, is, is it's organized around these three roles that women need to understand in terms of assertiveness. You know, we talked about mm -hmm. the doormat, the sword as the extremes, and then this middle area can, that uh, you describe as a lantern. Can you talk about that? Yes. So the lantern stance is how I envision assertiveness. So I think of myself standing with my feet shoulder width apart, holding up a lantern that illuminates me and it illuminates this larger area around me and inviting people into that light and saying, this is what I'm seeing. This is what's going on for me. What's going on for you? So there's room for differences, but it's there's an illumination. There's an understanding and there's a, an empathy there that's not there when you're being passive like a doormat or aggressive like a sword or some combination of doormat and sword, you know, passive aggressive. So I like the lantern idea of holding up a light and illuminating for yourself and for other people. Yeah, I love that. A lantern to me feels so respectful. It feels respectful of yourself. It feels respectful of others. And I think it really accomplishes maybe some of those primary drivers and motivations you described that women have around wanting to make sure other people feel comfortable. And I, and I think, you know, you can still do that. You can still care about other people's comfort by being respectful with illumination. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what might feel uncomfortable is what they, what they see in the light. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's okay. It's not always pretty. That's right. But it's, it's real. Yeah, right? that's right. That's right. But it's not, like you said at the beginning, it's not... It's not stepping over their rights as a human being because you're standing in place. You're not running toward them with your lantern. You're not throwing it on there. Right. You know, you're not uh, hiding it. It's it's very much a, a very sort of like grounding type of thing where they can walk toward it or they can walk away from it, but it's there and it's real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. And so if, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of people find themselves probably in one of those extreme roles and maybe grew up in families where there were messages around being a doormat, you know, don't make trouble, you know, don't say anything, mm -hmm. be needless and wantless, or maybe the sword where it was, you know, you got to strike first and speak up. And so, so in terms of examining the roles in the family, it can be helpful to organize it around these roles and, and, and then make conscious decisions to move it more into a lantern place. And I, I know the book mm -hmm. guides people toward that, which is you know, which is great. It's it's a great uh, resource for that. So, so Julie, what if other people can't or won't hear a woman's voice or her needs? You know, she's trying to do this. She's speaking up. She's illuminating things and and holding her place, but it's not working. Yeah. Do you want to give a a specific example of that? Maybe in a betrayed situation, we can kind of play around with. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so a, a really common presentation would be something like. A woman says to her husband, you know, I need you to be honest with me. You know, let's just say like when you've looked at pornography or when you've mm -hmm. cro crossed some line that we agreed was not okay. 
mm-hmm. and and she keeps catching him right and mm-hmm. there's excuses and there's there's promises and things like that but and maybe he seems sincere but she feels like he's not taking this seriously and she's feeling trapped because obviously it keeps hurting her heart it keeps creating a lot of fear she's worried about the impact of, on her family and her kids and her marriage and and but yet she's tried to make herself clear and said it as di- directly as she can but yet nothing's changing yeah that's a common one right yeah so so the request has been i i want you to share with me when you look at pornography for for using that example yeah and he doesn't mm-hmm. so what is the result of him not doing that so i feel scared when you look at pornography and you don't tell me because i think you don't trust me right so and then if you continue to do this i will you know you will be sleeping downstairs in the guest room for at least a week you know next time this happens or what so we also have to come up with a behavior so if someone doesn't respond to our words what are we going to do if they don't respect that right so i will you know i will kick you out of the bedroom <laughs> right for at least a week or i will you know we will not be intimate for the next month because this is too painful for me so what whatever you are willing to do you have to come up with a behavior that is the the consequence something that makes sense right what are you going to do because you can't control them you can only control you Right. And so so even if, you know, even if uh, she says, you know, you need to sleep downstairs and he's like, no, I'm going to stay in our bed. It's my bed, too. Then she obviously can choose to leave and she can sleep downstairs. But in my experience with this, when somebody's not hearing their voice, she has to make a decision. Do I stand in my place and illuminate this and just hold this spot or do I keep chasing, you know, him to try and like figure out something new? In my experience, Mm -hmm. it's really scary and hard to hold your place like that. But Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the only thing you can control, like you're saying, and it may, it may, yeah. it usually ends up be creating more distance. If somebody doesn't hear your voice, it ends up creating more and more space. And, you know, in an yeah, extreme definitely. case, the ultimate space is, you know, divorce, separation, even mm-hmm. order of protection. It can get pretty extreme where you're like, I will not, right. I will not let you have access to me anymore. And of course we don't start there, but um, but it can go there, but it can go there. If somebody <laughs> really isn't going to hear your yeah. voice and you have to, you know, you have to recognize that when you start down this road of assertiveness, if someone's not going to respond to you, you have to decide if if really what you think, what you feel, what you need, and what you want really does matter. If you you really if if it's, it has any value, and I'm obviously yeah. here to tell you it does. <laughs> yeah, another way to approach that with a lantern, that same situation, is to say, I've asked you several times to let me know when you viewed pornography, and you haven't. Let's talk about that. Why is that? Why aren't you telling me? And hold up the lantern and and listen to, you know, I feel shame, whatever that is. Call them into the light and discuss that pattern. Why is this going on? Are you willing to change this? Are you willing to come to me? Do we have a relationship? (laughs) All those hard questions. Yeah. So really, really changing the dialogue around it instead of it just being a request anymore. Now it's like, we're going to zoom out and have a bigger discussion about what the heck's going on here. Right. Why aren't you listening to me? Why is this not computing? And and then go from there. Yeah. And I think expecting, like you said, some actionable behavior, something different, some, some change there. Yeah, that's great. I love, I love all those options. And I, Again, the visualization of the lantern is, is getting, is, is so important to, to get clear enough to, to just hold that space. 
and keep shining light on it by asking questions and making observations and having the courage to say what needs to be said. Mm -hmm. Also with the lantern in this situation would be asking the woman asking herself, why do I feel the need to know every time he views porn? What is that about for me? Mm -hmm. And looking at the self and, you know, and really reflecting, is that in my best interest to even request that? Right. And, and it may be and it may not be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's that's a great point is maybe that's what she's known other people to do. But is that really what's best for her? Maybe the, the time has stopped and needing to know that and maybe there's a different request or, or whatever. Yeah. How is that serving right. her? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, these are great responses. Thank you. So just in wrapping up this this episode here, Julie, I, I would love to know, like, besides somebody, you know, reading your book, which I'm obviously recommending to my listeners, but how can someone, you know, someone listening to this right now, what would be some of the first steps they could take to start practicing assertiveness and, and start, you know, venturing into this if they feel like they're really weak on it? Yeah, I think the, one of the most important things to start with is identifying your feelings and being able to just say, I am mad. I am scared. I am sad. I'm happy. I'm disgusted. I'm, you know, being able to identify that emotion and just state it is a really great place to start because your emotions are going to give you information about what you want more of and what you want less of. So comfortable emotions are things that we want to go toward. Uncomfortable emotions we tend to want to back away from. And so identifying your feelings is kind of a really, really good place to start. I love that. I mean, that's that's illumination right there. That's that's being able to identify this is impacting me this way and I'm a person who feels things differently than you. And mm -hmm. and that's a I love that. That's a form of assertiveness. That's a form of just changing the conversation and showing up as a person. I love that. And let me let me give a fill in the blank that's really helpful, a really helpful place to start too. I feel, and then you put in your feeling, when you the other person's specific behavior, because think you put in your thoughts. So I feel you because I think so that gets your thoughts and feelings. And then the request is it would mean a lot to me if blank. So that's the request of your want or need. Okay. So say that whole sequence one more time, because it did glitch out for a second, but I want to, I want to go through okay. just review it one more time. So I feel, I feel scared. So you're feeling whatever it is uh -huh. when you, the other person's specific behavior. So when you, we'll just do that. When you view porn, because I think you don't love me, it would mean a lot to me if you would work on this in therapy, I love so it. whatever your request is, is the last piece. Wonderful. Yep. That's a great sequence. I love that. And it can kind of help help them organize where to go with the feelings instead of just saying it out loud and have it like move mm -hmm. somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. I know we could spend hours talking about assertiveness because it's <laughs> it's not intuitive for most people, especially people in, uh, you know, men and women, but especially women in, in more conservative religious spiritual cultures where there's, there's an expectation mm -hmm. that they just do a lot of that caretaking and, and keeping the peace. And so uh, it's going to challenge a lot of these rules, but I I know in my own life, as my wife and I both have worked on being more assertive with how we think and feel and encouraged our kids to do so, we're so much happier. It's just such a better life. Yeah. And it creates intimacy. Yeah. So it's the path to intimacy. It's not, it's not as scary as we think. Yeah. And I love that you keep emphasizing that, it, that the outcome is intimacy. It's, it's really about bringing people closer together. 
And mm-hmm. that's that's been my experience with it. Thank you, Julie, so much. Um, I'll put links. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, resources so people can find you. You're the easiest person to find on the internet, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so um, that's not going to be a problem. My listeners have no problem finding your stuff, and I'll make sure people have access to it. But thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you, Jeff. You can learn more about Dr. Hanks and her wonderful work online. You can find her at drjuliehanks.com. And you can also connect with her on social media. She's very active on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Julie Hanks. And I think you'll find that her stuff is very informative and uplifting. In fact, she's very active on their posts almost every single day, something that I feel like I learned from. And she's very inclusive and very aware of all the different places people might be with their spirituality, with their relationships and their emotions. And I just love some of the stuff that she posts. So go check her out and give her a follow and connect with her in those places. And I will also have another interview with her. The next episode, we're going to talk about a different topic, which is idealizing motherhood and glorifying self-neglect and the challenges that a lot of women feel, especially to feel like they're supposed to just give and give and give until they burn themselves out all in the name of being a good mom. And a lot of women that have Uh, dealt with betrayal and trauma oftentimes are so depleted already but then they feel this constant tug to somehow give more and at their own expense and so we're going to talk about how to keep that in balance and see that in a healthier way so julie's got some great thoughts on this and i'm excited to share this with all of you and thanks again for all your great support of the illuminate podcast and if you find it helpful please give us a rating on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so other people can find this information and get the support that they need. I look forward to being with all of you in the next episode. I hope all of you are well and taking good care of yourselves and your loved ones during this pandemic. Until next time.